We're, we're in a series called, and that was great, you guys know what the series is. Ah, okay, you got a little prompting there. Follow me. And it comes from a scripture where Jesus, we're going back to so many things in this world today are distracting, pulling at us. And I felt the Lord help me a few year, a year or so ago to get back to what's really important. And He called me to go back, what did I tell you to do? Forget what everybody else has said, what did I tell you to do? And He took me back to the very first thing He told the disciples, which is, come, follow me. And what we've learned is as we follow Him, He'll lead us where we need to go because He knows not just how to get there, He knows where it is. And as Philip said, Lord, how do we know how to get there when we don't know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. Don't worry about where you're going. Just keep your focus on me and follow me. And we saw how simple as that is, it's very difficult because there's so many distractions. We want to help out. We want to get ahead of him. We want to go off over here. What about this? And he just says, learn to follow me. But we saw that as they did that and they were obedient to follow him, he began to explain to them along the way what that meant and what that involved. And so the verse that we're using as our basic verse is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 14. And Jesus says, if they'll put it up there, Jesus said to His disciples, if anyone desires to come after Me, let him, number one, deny himself, number two, take up his cross, and then follow Me. So following Him involves going where He went and going where He's going. And so this is where Jesus went. Jesus had to deny Himself. Philippians chapter 2 says that he set aside, he set aside all that he had by virtue of being the second person of the Godhead. He set it aside. He, the word is he emptied himself of all of those attributes and took on human flesh and dwelt among us. Then he was filled with the Spirit of God and walked among us and did the works that he did. But he had to deny, the, he had to deny his right to himself. So we began to see that that's what deny ourselves means. It doesn't mean you cease to be who you are. It doesn't mean you lose your personality. It doesn't mean you kill yourself. It means you, because of the virtue of the fact that you're in Christ, you deny yourself the right to make decisions, to see things, and to relate to everything as if you were separate from Him. In other words, when you came to Christ, you lost your rights to yourself. But believe me, you don't lose out. You gain. Because He'll do so much more for you and in you and through you than you would ever do by your... Let me ask you a question. How, how well is it going when you're doing it by yourself? How, how good a job? How's it going? Well, stop. <laughs> and let's do it His way. So we're not gonna, we don't want to go back over all that, because so we'll get off into that. So the second thing He says is, is to take up your cross and follow Me. We talked about the cross was where He went and suffered. He was rejected and he died. And then we'll talk about, as we finish this, the other side. He didn't stay dead. He was raised to the dead to newness of life. But you can't get to that newness of life unless you go through these steps. And that's why so many of us are struggling. We come to church and sing about new life. We read the Bible and see about the new life, but we're not walking in this newness of life. We're not walking in the level of life that God has for us because we want to skip the steps. We want to go from kindergarten to senior in high school. <laughs> you can't do that because the process of going through first, second, third and all the other grades is to prepare you for what's yours when you become a senior in high school. And so we want to jump from following Him to walking in all the blessings and the newness of life 
and the level of life. He walks in and we wonder, where's the power? We read about the power of the Holy Spirit. Where's the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, it's interesting. You go back and look at how Jesus began to flow in it. There's a pattern there. This isn't in my notes. There's a pattern there. Jesus, when he, once he was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist when he was about 30 years of age, he was filled with the Spirit. But he didn't go out and perform miracles. The Spirit led him, the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil. And he went through that testing and tempting. And when he came through it victorious, it says, and he returned in the power of the Spirit. So he had to go through something that was to prepare him so that the power of the Spirit could flow through him. And what happened in that time? He did not eat for 40 days or 40 nights. Now I'm not telling you that in order to walk in the power of the Spirit, you've got to go on a 40-day fast. That's what the Spirit led him to do. But he was tested. He was tempted in all ways as we were, and we know in those temptations, he responded to the temptation only on the basis of the Word of God. He was learning and training his flesh and his mind to respond to everything only by what God said to it. So the test that you're going through right now, and whatever you're going through is some kind of test. That doesn't mean God caused it. You may well have caused it. But you can turn it. It's a test. When you learn to respond only with what God says, then you become a prepared vessel that God can entrust the power of His Spirit to flow through. So that process is that He had to deny Himself then to take up His cross and then he's told us to follow him. But notice the key words are we're to take up our cross. And that's what this little mini-series is, my cross. Because my cross may be different than your cross. My cross may... He may not well not be calling any of us to be nailed to a wooden cross. There were some of the disciples that were called to do that. But that's very rare today. It can happen. You not be, you, you may, your cross may not be physically giving up your life for His sake, although it may. But sometimes that kind of cross is easier because it's done and over with. But there's some crosses we have to bear that aren't over with quite so fast. <laughs> so we're looking at what that means. And the cross for Him, we looked at last week. There's three things it involves. They all have to do with relationships. One is our relationship with the world. Second is our relationship with each other. And the third is there's a cross we have to bear in our relationship with God Himself. We looked last week at the, what it means to, for Him to bear a cross in relation to His relationship with the world and our relationship with the world. And what we saw is the world hated Him. Why did the world hate Him? Because He represented a holy God. He confronted their sin just by His existence. And we saw last week there were scriptures where Jesus said, the, the, the people that are in sin don't want to come into the light. I am the light of the world. And that light confronts whatever's going on in the darkness. And those that don't want to have what's going on in the darkness run away from the light. They hate the light because the light exposes things. So Jesus came from heaven as a holy representative, a holy God. He is God. He's also man. 
And he's represented a standard of holiness. He took away the excuse because the law required perfection and Jesus walked in that perfection and that took away the excuse. It confronted people. So he was, he was, he was despised, he was, he, he was shamed, he was humiliated, and he was rejected. And that means if we're going to follow him, and we're going to belong to him, and we're going to be identified with him, we're not going to, the world's not going to like us either. That went over really big. We've got to get over wanting the world to like us. And the reason we want the world to like us is we're insecure. We have a need. God made us to need to be accepted. But He made us to need to be accepted by Him, not by the world. And Satan uses that, perverts that desire in our hearts that's become a need for so many of us and tries to get us to fulfill it with the things the world tries to fulfill it with. It, and that will never work. It's a compromise. And we ended last week. This is, but if you will, willing to suffer with Him, if you're willing to identify with Him, whatever suffering you go through, whatever rejection you go through, if you're faithful to that, He will show up in the middle of it, as He did with the men, the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace, as He did with the young man that had been healed, who'd been lame from his birth, and he, he, was, he was kicked out of the temple for Christ's sake, and Jesus came and found Him and revealed Himself to Him. Today we're going to look at what it means to take up our cross in our relationship with each other. So today, the problem's not the world out there, the problem is that person to your left, or that person to your right, or the person when you walked in today you avoided because you don't want to talk to them. I told you, as we begin to talk about these things, the application is going to get closer to home, to where we really... See, we can talk about persecution in the church, but we don't have... We're not here on the fear that somebody's going to burst in here, the government's going to burst in here, and because we're meeting, we're going to all get arrested. But there are brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, so we can talk about that, but it's kind of hard to really relate to that. But to relate to somebody in your life that rubs you the wrong way, that's here in church, or that may have offended you, and that's why you sit on one side and they sit on the other side. So we're going to begin to look at taking up our cross. And I already shared to you what your cross is not. It's your, not your spouse. Oh God, the cross you gave me to bear with him. Oh, Lord, the cross you gave me to bear with Him. Well, when you find out what the cross does, you may want to pick up that cross for Him. So that's what we're going to begin to look at today. But to understand this, to really, and this is, I'm sorry, I'm not a preacher that gives you three points and a poem and says, have a good day, and I hope you got something. The way my God made my mind is I break things down. I think in outlines, scary, but I had to learn to overcome that to save my marriage because that doesn't work well in a marriage. <laughs> but, I, but when I read the scriptures, I break them down in my mind and then I believe God gave me that gift so that I can break it down for you so that you can not only understand it, but take it from here and apply it in your life. So to do that, we have to establish a foundation and it's the same one we've been talking about, but we don't get it. 
I was listening to a, a teacher this week, or actually last week, uh, I forgot even who it was, but um, and he talked about D.L. Moody one time when he was in England. I got to watch the time when he was in England, uh, uh, and he met this young man and said to him, uh, uh, you know, because he had his, his institute in, in in Chicago. He said, "If you ever get to Chicago, come look me up." You know, never expecting any just casual comment. About a year or so, there's a knock at his door, and this young man showed up, and he didn't even remember him. He said, "Yes, sir." Why not? He said, "No, no." Don't you remember, uh, Brother Moody, when you saw me, you know, told me if I ever wanted to come and preach, you could just come knock on your door? He said, oh. <laughs> okay. He said, well, I'm about to go out of town. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. You know, I'll set you up in a meeting uh, tonight, but in our basement, because it's, it's small. Because their, their facility sat about 3,000 people. And uh, so he, he went that night, and he preached on John 3.16. And he had to leave to go out of town for a week. And when he came back, his wife said, he said, how'd it go? He said, well, we're still meeting. He says, but we had to move upstairs because we filled out the place downstairs and we're packing it out tonight. That's in one week. He said, uh, well, so he went to the young man. He said, well, what are you preaching on now? He says, John 3.16. He said, but that's what you preached on the first night. He said, why are you still doing it? He says, because they don't have it. They didn't get it yet. See, our mind wants to hear something and say, oh, that was nice. I mean, Rodney referred to that this morning. Because we'll hear a song, we just sing the song, and say, okay, now go on to the next one. And that's our mind and our flesh. They want to be entertained. But the real growth comes when we meditate, when we let our mind soak it in. And as we soak it in, that comes by repetition over and over and over and over and over and over and over. I thought Jesus said that we were not that vain, repetitious prayers. He said, no vain doesn't mean you can't say the same thing over and over again. It's when it's done in vanity. It's when it's done, it's empty. It's just you're doing it for the sake of doing it. So we're going to lay a foundation for, for our relationship with each other, who God says we are. And I've shared this with you before. We have on a Sunday morning, I don't know, 600 individuals that come in here, give or receive something or both, and then leave as 600 individuals. And that's totally unscriptural. It's not what the church is. This is not a social club. This is not a place to come and get a very nice cup of coffee, hear a nice message, see your friends, and then leave. That's what a social club is. We are the body of Christ. And Paul's method of correcting the churches was to remind them of who they were and then talk to them about acting according to who they are. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. If we are the body of Christ, if we are one with Christ, if we are one with Christ, and if you are a Christian, that's the only way you become a Christian, is become joined to Christ, in Christ. We've talked before about all the scriptures, in Him, in Christ, through Christ, Christ in me, I in Christ. That's who we are. You are joined to Christ. That means whatever He is, you are because you're part of Him. You're part of Christ. And He's part of you because you're one. So wherever you go, He goes. Wherever He wants to go, you have to go. Because you're one with Him. But if we're one with Him, 
I'm one with him. Gary's one with him. Denny's one with him. Ron's one with him. Then we're also one with each other. And there's some verses that get this across to us. Because we're not going to be talking about getting along. That's for kindergartners. I love it. We had, used to have a teacher over here that had a... I went to visit... I guess it was my, our granddaughter was in there somewhere. I went to visit one of the classrooms. This was years ago. And I walk in, and it was great. I've forgotten what age it was. Small age group. She had basic ground rules on the wall. Don't touch your neighbor. <laughs> Sit down when you're supposed to. Don't talk. I said, I want to put those up here. <laughs> I mean, in kindergarten, you learn to get along with each other. This is not kindergarten. It should be assumed we get along with each other. Where God's calling us to go, it's got to go far beyond getting along with each other. I almost did it again today. I referenced a video I saw about Francis Chan. I watched it again this week. My wife, where he's just sucking on a baby bottle. And he says, this is where most Christians are. They come to church. He said, this does not look good. This looks strange for a speaker to a bunch of adults sucking on a baby bottle. But that's where most Christians are. We're still acting like babies. Paul talks about that or whoever wrote Hebrews about in chapter 6. By now you ought to have grown up. Now I'm not talking to anybody in here. John 15. What we're going to look at is three different scriptures. And they're going to tell us who we are together. And then we're going to see in each of those scriptures it's followed by how we ought to act because of who we are together. John 15 is the first one. Now this is very important. Of course, all the words are important. This is very important because this is part of Jesus' last instructions to His disciples before He's about to leave, to go to the cross. And not only is it important because of how much He loves them and cares for them and wants to prepare them, but Jesus understands what they don't grasp yet, that when He leaves, they're it. The church, God's plan for the salvation of mankind is now going to be left in the hands of 11 men who have trouble getting along with each other. One of them, the 12th, just died. Well, it's about to die. He's a traitor, Judas. And so Jesus is getting this, he's already, John 14, dealt with the separation and some other issues. And now we're not going to go back, we don't have time to go back and start at the beginning of this chapter. But Jesus is trying to communicate to them what I'm trying to communicate to you today. And this is the example he uses. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Now, a vine's hard for us because we think of a vine as this thing that grows up the side of our house we have to pull back. But a vine there is like a tree. So let's use the example of a tree instead of a vine. I am the vine. I'm the trunk of the tree. You are the branches. He who abides in me 
and I in him bears much fruit for without me, or actually says apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is communicating to them, the only way you can produce fruit, and he goes on to talk about fruit, is by being vitally connected to me the way a branch can only produce fruit if it's vitally connected to the trunk of the tree. But the image here is, I am the vine, and each of you, he's talking to the twelve there, each of you is a branch that is vitally connected. Your life source comes from me, and my ability to produce fruit is my life source flowing through you, but each of you is a branch. And we talked about this several weeks ago. A branch in a tree does not have its own separate identity. Its identity comes from the tree. So we look at a branch that has elm leaves on it and we don't look at that branch or those leaves and say that's an elm branch or that's branch number 24. That's an elm tree because we see the branch and we see the trunk as one, one whole tree. And Jesus is communicating that each one of them that belongs to Him, our identity comes only from who we are in Him, and our relationship with each other is only through Him, just as the only relationship those branches have with each other is through the trunk of the tree. So if a branch were to be cut off or fall off and separated, it has no longer any relationship with the other branches. Because it's only, that's why Satan works so hard to get us to see us as individuals. Because when you're an individual, you can't produce fruit on your own. Only he can produce the fruit within you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul is dealing with the same kind of issue. This is such a powerful letter. It's written to a church in Corinth, which is in, in the southern part of Greece. It's written to a church that if we took the time to go back and, and looked at the first chapter or two, uh, we'd see that this was a church that was in, in an outward sign very spiritual. There was like a revival going on here. The gifts of the Spirit were flowing in abundance, and this chapter is about those gifts. And you had people prophesying, you had people speaking in tongues in the service, you had miracles taking place, you had these wonderful outward signs of the manifestation of the Spirit taking place. But Paul has to address them and correct them. And so we're going to look here at, at what Paul says. And he starts by basically saying there's only one body, there's one Spirit, there's only one Lord, there's only one of things, and, and each of you have a gift that's related to that gift. But now he's going to use an image that's different than the image Jesus used, but to get the same point across. And this is, this is so powerful. Jesus used a tree and branches. But Paul's going to use something we're all familiar with, your body, your human body. And he's going to teach it this way. So we're going to read down through it, and we're going to go back and break it down. Because this, of all the things we're going to read today, is, is so applicable, the most, the most powerful. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For the body is... So he's dealing with divisions in their church. Chapter 1 says, you know, you're flowing all the gifts. He says, but there's fighting among you. 
You have factions. Some say I'm of Pastor John, say I'm of Pastor Ray, I mean, some say I'm of Apollos, some say I'm of Paul. So you've identified yourself with people. And then he goes on later on in chapter 11, and we're going to do this later on, he, he corrects in their communion. He said, you're coming together and celebrating the Lord's table together, the Lord's being part of the Lord's body together, and you're fighting. You won't even sit together. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that are one body. For by one Spirit you were baptized into one body. We talked about this several weeks ago. The word baptized means literally be joined together with, immersed in. And we use it in terms of baptized into water, but it also really applies to being baptized into Christ. And the, word come, the root of the word comes from the old practice of taking white linen and dipping it down in some colored dye. And when they did that, the dye became part of the fibers and changed the color of the, and the nature of the linen cloth into whatever that dye was. You were baptized. You were immersed. You were into Christ and saturated with Him so that when you came back up out of Christ, you now show His color. You now reflect who He is because you've now been joined to Him just as that red dye or blue dye now became fused within part of the, every fire of that cloth. So you were baptized. We were all baptized. We were all baptized. We were all baptized into one body. Look at this. It has nothing to do with your background. Whether you were Jew or a Greek, that was a big thing to say to them. Whether you were a slave or or free. The book of Philemon, which is hardly anybody ever reads, and I did a, a, a series on that a number of years ago on a Wednesday night. It's such an amazing example of this, because it's a letter written by Paul to a slave owner named Philemon, who has, one of his slaves has run away. And that runaway slave got saved in one of Paul's meetings. And the slave owner, Philemon, is also a Christian, and now Paul is sending the runaway slave back to Philemon and reminding him that their status has now changed. Because you're now brothers, you're now part of one body. So whether slaves or free, you've all been made to drink of one spirit. Drink is just a, just a physical representation of taking something into you and becoming one. So later in the service, when we drink the little cup of grape juice that's representing drinking Christ into us, not because you're swallowing Him, but that grape juice becomes part of you. So it's symbolizing that union with Christ. For in fact... The body is not one, but many members. So we're one body, but we're many members. This is so simple and basic, but we miss it, because we don't understand this. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, is it therefore not part of the body? If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, Am I not part of the body? Is, therefore, is, is it therefore not part of the body? But if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were, if the whole were hearing, where would the smelling be? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body 
just as He pleases. Now let's break that down. Because then He goes and looks at it from another point of view. He's saying, if, if, if verse 16, no, verse 15, if the foot should say to the hand, I'm not a hand, therefore I'm not part of the body. Verse 16, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, is it therefore not part of the body? So what Paul's saying here is this. I'm your, you, you deal with it every day. You get up and you brush your teeth, I hope. All right. Some of us shave, some of us don't, but you look in a mirror and you deal with different parts of your body. When I reach for my glasses, notice I reach for my glasses. But the decision is made by my head. But the action is made by a coordination of my arm and each of my fingers to lift up my glasses. And I don't even think about it. Because I have picked up my glasses and I have put them on. So my hand's not saying to my arm, I'm more important than his arm because I'm the one that actually picks up the glasses. But the arm says, but you wouldn't be over there if I didn't move you over there. So if they got into a fight about which was more important, my glasses stay there. See, we don't need... It's silly to think in those terms, isn't it? But this is how Christ sees us. We're His body and we're dysfunctional. His body's paralyzed. Because we're looking at ourselves and our role. And who I am in the body of Christ. Now notice, what He's saying here is we have differences. Viva la differences. God made... This is what's so... I've said this so many times, but I just... It's just so wonderful about this, what God's done here. If you can stand here and see the different faces, the different ages, the different colors, the different sizes, the different... It's just so wonderful. This is so rare in the church today. God's done it. God's done it. But our differences have nothing to do with our identity. Our differences, the differences between my hand, my foot, and my eye are only differences in function. And so we look at our differences as if that's our identity. This is where racism comes from. And the other isms that separate. And it's not just race, it's age, it's... It's all kinds of things that separate us because we're looking at the outer man. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says, we don't look at Christ as the outer man anymore. Then it goes on to explain what that means in verse 17. For if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. We're to look at one another as who we are on the inside, not what we look like or act like or how we are on the outside. And on the inside, we're fused to Him. We're one body together with Him. We better move on. This is so, so much. I've spent hours in hearing at School of Ministry. So the point in these two scriptures is that the differences that we have are, have nothing to do with our identity 
It's for function. In the same way, I was meditating over this this morning, God has different purposes for different churches. Oh, oh, I may get off here. God has different purposes for different churches. So we can't compare churches to one another. Just as your body has different organs to perform, but they have to all perform, and they've got to perform it together, which is one of the reasons we're having this meeting tonight, which is so some churches can begin to work together in something. You need to be planted in the church God has assigned you to. People leave here for all kinds of reasons. They may not like something I said. They may not like we've changed the worship. They may not like we changed the seats. Oh, I can't understand why you wouldn't like that. They don't like this. They don't like that. They don't like this. They don't like that. They don't like this. I can't imagine standing before the Lord and saying, why did you leave that church that I sent you to? We have to take more seriously who we are and why we're here. God may call you to go to another church and I'll bless you if you go. But it's not about what I like or don't like. There are days I don't want to be here. <laughs> there are some days I want to leave the church. People say, Pastor, I've got to leave. I'm going to go with you. I don't want to be here. <laughs> I'm serious. A lot of our contemporaries moving to Florida. It's like, oh, that sounds good. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I got to go where God's put me, and God will take care of us. He'll ta- He'll make sure we're taken care of. But oh, you know that option if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, if you're going to follow Him. Oh Lord, I got to move on. Whew. All right, verse seventeen. So he's talking about the individual part. Now he said, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? That's what some churches are. If the whole body were hearing, where would the smelling be? But now God, look at this, God, say God. God. Okay to say that in church. God has set in the, the members, each one of them, in the body, just as He pleased. God has set the members, no, (laughs) each one of them in the body, God has set the members. So that if I'm going to do what I want to do and not what God, I've got to stand before Him someday and say, I know it says you set them as you please, but I want to do what I pleased. Verse 19, if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. Verse 21, so the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Look to your left. You have need of that person. Look to your right. You have need of that person. That's the other direction. You have need of that person. We can't say to anybody in here, I don't need you. 
Verse 22, No, much rather the members of the body which seem to be the weaker are necessary. And the members of the body which we think are less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. Talk about your physical body. Ever stub your little toe? You don't think much about your little toe. And most of ours is probably not very attractive. But you need it for balance. Verse 24. But our presentable parts have no need, but God, is a comp- but God has composed the body, having given much greater honor, giving greater honor to that part which lacks it naturally. That there should be no schism, that means division in the body. That there should be no division in the body. That there should be no division, that there should be no division, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have care for one another. Ever stub your toe in the middle of the night when you got up? Your toe, there's that moment when you know the signal's going to pass from that toe because there's a moment when you see your toe doesn't feel anything your brain interprets what happens when your toe communicates to your brain I just got hit it hurts and your rest of your body says well that's the toe's problem (laughs) I'm going back to bed the toe can deal with that it's not my problem it's the toe's problem oh no ah Your hands, your body all goes on alert to surround that part that was just injured to protect it, to comfort it. You'll even risk the rest of it jumping around and your voice will cry out for help because one member now hurts. I told you we're not called to just get along. If one member suffers... Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffers, whether we realize it. The reason it doesn't bother us is because we don't see ourselves as one body, as His body. If one member is honored, then the others become jealous and envious because why was that person honored? If one member is honored, then all is honored. I've already gotten some feedback from yesterday's about, you know, and they, all the women did great, but they've talked to me about my wife. She did a great job. I'm not saying, oh my gosh, well, what are they going to think of me? Maybe she'll be better than I am. I hope she is. Because if she's honored, I'm honored. Because we're one. Okay, we've got to move on. Let's go to Ephesians 4. so much in here. We're going to start with the first few verses and then jump down because we're going to skip over a section there. I therefore... Now here Paul has just spent three chapters telling them what God's done for them, telling them who they are in Christ. 
how God took the Gentiles and the Greeks and uh, the, the Greeks, the, the Gentiles and the Jews and joined them together in one body. How God's grace has done this for them. By grace you are saved. He's talked about all the wonderful goodness and graciousness of God. And now he's going to talk to them about how we ought to act as a consequence of that. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, in all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Notice how many times we're going to say love wrenched here. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What binds us together, Jesus used the example of a tree and branches. Paul used the example of the body and the members. But what binds us together is a spiritual bind, a bond, not a physical bond because we all look different. It is one spirit. The same spirit that dwells in me dwells in you. There's only one Holy Spirit. So the spirit that's in Gary is in me. And so, so that the spirit automatically has created unity because it's the same spirit. And I shared with you before what it's like if you, when I first got saved and I met somebody in the law firm, I worked a big law firm, and she was a young girl, was, a, was like a temporary secretary, and I was a senior associate. But the moment I met her, there was a connection there in the Spirit, because we're both Christians. We and I was, felt an immediate identification with her that I've never felt with some of my relatives. One Spirit. So we're supposed to keep the unity, not get the unity, maintain it. One hope of your calling, one calling, one Lord, verse 5, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is above all, through all, and in y'all, in you all. <laughs> Paul was a southerner. Notice, Paul's trying to remind them, look, there's only one faith. There's only one body. There's only one God. There's only one Lord. There's only one Spirit. So now he talks about, verse 7 says, to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So we've, there's different grace which he's referring to, to gifts for ministry, gifts for serving, but we're one. But we've been given different gifts. He jumps down through something. We're going to pick up now in verse 11. And he himself, he, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. This is talking about the ministry gifts, what we consider the ministry gifts. But why were they given to the church? And I'm a pastor teacher. Why were they given to the church? For the, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. The word equipping there is a Greek word that was used to apply to a ship when it was either going to go out for battle or was going to go on a long trade journey. They would give the food, they would provide the water, they would provide everything, the tackle, everything, the, 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 the lines, everything that was needed for that ship to go and accomplish what it was sent to do. They would put on board that ship. And that's the root Greek word here that is translated here equip. So the ministry gifts are to equip the saints. And by the way, I hope you by now know that you're all saints. I didn't say you act saintly. But a saint isn't somebody in a stained glass window some group has appointed, voter unappointed. A saint means one who's set aside for Christ. And so these ministry gifts are a gift to equip the saints to do the work. Say work. Now that was pretty weak. Say work. All right. For the ministry gifts were given so the saints could feel blessed and leave church and go about their business. No, so that they could do the work of the ministry. And the word ministry is a Greek word that means a table waiter. 
not someone that wears their collar backwards or wears funny robes. And I'm not belittling anything, but we've lifted the ministry up as if something sacred. And it's, it's just to train us so that we can go do the work of the body of Christ. That's what happened yesterday with the women. We're ministering to each other. The women that sat up here inspired and encouraged, but the women themselves did the ministering to each other. Look at this, verse 13. For the, uh, for, the, for the edifying of the body of Christ, the building up of the body of Christ, until we all, say all, all, come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, but that word perfect means mature. Say grow up. Grow up. That was very weak. Say grow up. grow up. That was better. All right. Grow up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? We're His body. So the ministry gifts are here to equip us so we can all do the work together so that we can all come together together as the maturity of God Christ's body here in this place to reflect Him to the world, to be His hands, His eyes, His ears, His voice, His touch, His power, His deliverance. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children. He's saying grow up tossed about to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, from whom the whole body... Oh no, but speaking the... Verse 5, 15. But speaking the truth in love... Notice there's love again. Speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things unto Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by which every joint supplies, think of your body, every part of your body has been knit together, brought together, knit together in your mother's womb, and functions together by every part supplies. We've got parts of this body that aren't supplying what they're here to do. There's some parts that are here to supply trunks. (laughs) We're all supposed to be supplying something to the body. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by which every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part, every part, every part, every part does its share and causes the growth of the body for the edifying or building of itself what? in love. Now we're talking about taking up my cross. My cross may be to get out of my gray chair, go home and get my trunk ready because I don't want to clean my trunk out. (laughs) My cross may well be doing something I don't think I want to do. My cross tonight is to go to another meeting on a Sunday night when I'm tired and I don't want to go to this meeting tonight but my cross is I'm going to take it up and I'm going to go and I'm going to do it and it's going to be wonderful but I'll be honest with you I'd rather stay home with my feet up and rest. But I'll make myself do what I need to do because it's the body coming together. And yes, they could function if I weren't there but this is a major church and for our presence to be there this is a statement to the other churches that we're part of the body. 
and for me to stay home and do what I want to do, to sit with my wife and Molly in my lap and watch the football game that's on, is what I would much rather do. I'm just being honest with you. And when they asked me, I was tempted to say we couldn't have our worship team involved at this point because we're still in transition. So it's just, you know, I'm the only one from the church actively participating. So it's like, uh, you know what? You guys will be all right without me. But the Lord dealt with me. He says, no, if you are, it would be a statement if you didn't come. So I had to get myself out of my comfortable chair with Molly in my lap and my wife next to me, turn off whatever football game's on and get ready and I got to go. And I'm going to do it. And I'll have a wonderful time because I go. So taking up your cross does not mean nailing yourself to a, to a tree. It means doing something you don't want to do when you don't want to do it for Him. Because He wants you. Because you're His body and represent Him. So if we're, part of our cross is to do something that God's called you to do in the church. Something. And we all have excuses. We all have excuses. But part of what dies on a cross is my excuses. I'm sweating. It must be, it must be working on me too. Alright. How does this involve taking up my cross? Well, back in John 15... He says, this is my... He's talking about that you're, you're, we're, you're one tree and we're many branches. But, but this is my... This, that, right, then he says then, and this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So he's not just not telling us you belong to each other. He's telling if you're going to follow me, this is how you have to relate to each other. This is why I said earlier, it's not just getting along. Jesus said, this is my suggestion, oh, my, excuse me, my commandment, that you love one another, but I don't, that person's not very lovely, as I have loved you, who aren't very lovely. And then he goes on to explain what that means. He says, greater love has no man than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends, that he take up his cross and die to himself for his friends. 1 Corinthians 12, which follows what we've already read about the body. We just read 1 Corinthians 12, 24. says, And the presentable parts have no meat, but the body is... Com- God, God has composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which it lacks. Verse 25 so that there should be no division of the body, so that the members should have the same care for one another. He's talking about how we care for one another, and the standard he uses is the level of how far he was willing to go for us. How far he was willing to go for us. Ephesians 4, Paul's just finished talking about how the body works together. And then he starts in verse 24. He starts in verse 17 talking about practical ways that we're to relate to each other. And this is the one I picked on. There's a number we could have looked at. Therefore, putting away lying, that sounds good, let each one of us speak truth with his neighbor. Why? Because we're members 
of one another. He's not just saying be honest with each other. Now remember earlier on he says the truth in love. He's not just telling us to be honest with one another because it's a good thing to do. He's saying be honest with each other because we are one. So if I'm not honest and forthright with, with Denny, I'm, I'm affecting something that I need. There was something that I wanted the elders that were here this morning to pray. We started having the elders, we started praying in here again. You can visit if you want, but we started to pray in here again. And now I'm going back to having the elders pray over me in the morning because I realized the Lord dealt with me and my wife. Um, sometimes He deals with me through my wife. Uh, that I had stopped that and the Lord showed me you stopped it out of pride that you don't need it. See, that's seeing myself as sufficient in myself. And the Lord says, you need them to pray for you. And so I have them together. I have them pray for a specific need that I need this week for them to pray for me. And, I, you know, I didn't want to do that, but the Lord said, but you sharing with them, you're telling them you need them. And you need to know you need them, and they need to know you need them, so that you're not sufficient just unto yourself. Speak the truth in love. We'll bring this to an end. So this is the foundation. But what we're going to begin to look at next time is we're going to look how this specifically works out in our relationships with each other. Things that Christ has told us to do, we're going to begin to understand that that is literally a cross for us to bear and why. And what you will see is how powerful and life-changing it is. I'll end with a statement that we we began talking about denying ourselves and taking up our cross and, and the things that, that uh, Christ is telling us to do. Those look scary. They look overwhelming. They look like we can't do it until we begin to let the Spirit of God impress on our hearts because in your heart you want to do this because Jesus is in your heart. You, you want to do this. The reason we struggle is, first of all, our flesh. Secondly, because we don't understand what He means by it. And third, we don't see the benefit of it. Because on the other side of it, there's a benefit. No, sweetheart, we've got to do communion. On the other side, there's a benefit of it. Let's pray. Father, we thank You today for the Word of God and what You've spoken into our hearts. And we come to You, Lord, today. We're now preparing to share the Lord's table together. And this is, the, this is one of the two things you gave us to do, to make real in our senses that we are one with you and that we are one with each other. We pray, Father, that as we begin to share the elements together, the bread and the cup, that this will not be just a routine ceremony we go through. It will not just be a thing to do at the end of this service, but you will bring home through our senses that you have truly joined us together with Christ, that Christ literally is in us through the Spirit, and we are literally in Him. But more than that, we are one together with Him, that we not only belong to Him, but we belong to each other. So I ask you, Father, that you, by your Spirit, would anoint this very special time together. It is a sacred time because of acknowledging Christ in our lives and Christ in our brothers and sisters and that we are one with Him. So that when we look at a brother or sister and want to judge them, we're judging someone that Christ lives in. Help us to see one another through Him as the 
trunk of the as the branches of the tree relate to each other through the trunk may we learn to relate to each other not separately but through the Christ that we're one with father we pray right now before we do this that there's anyone here this morning that's never received Christ that you would